What's up and welcome in to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Hood. Thanks for downloading the podcast and happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT. We'll hear from Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. He was at all four WWE major events taking place at the Allstate Arena in Rosemont in suburban Chicago, Illinois. So we'll hear from Josh momentarily. We've got a lot of news and notes to be able to look at with professional wrestling slash sports entertainment. So we'll get to it all here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Tell somebody that Jonathan Hood's talking wrestling, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, every Tuesday and now twice a week. Tuesdays and sometimes Thursday, Friday, um, but twice a week right here on ESPN 1000 and, of course, the Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday podcast. So before we hear from Josh, let's go back to a tweet three days ago from WWE color analyst Corey Graves. Corey Graves says, just for the record, guys, I know you wouldn't know it. But there's actually a WWE Hall of Famer and a former Ring of Honor champion on commentary. I imagine they have a lot to offer. Hashtag NXT uh, TakeOver War Games. So that was a tweet that was sent out by Corey Graves. And that was the night of War Games, the NXT show from Saturday. As a result of this tweet, we believe, Mauro Ranallo who is the lead play-by-play voice for NXT, took down his entire Twitter page. Like, you can't find Mara on Twitter now. Someone that was prevalent on Twitter, someone that was always tweeting and getting encouragement from his fans and detractors alike, um, and he took down his Twitter. And he was not at the commentary table on Sunday for the Survivor Series. And as we record this, on Wednesday morning, it looks like that he will not be doing the NXT show from Full Sail. So, no Mauro Ranallo. I want to make sure it's very clear. If you've listened to this podcast, I have said to Josh Lopez, I've said several times on this podcast, that I believe that Mauro Ranallo should be more inclusive on the broadcast and to try to bring in Beth Phoenix, to try to bring in Nigel McGuinness and utilize their expertise. It's one thing for Morrow to get his you know, hip-hop phrases over, his Travis Scott thoughts over, and be able to kind of weave in pop culture with the pro wrestling that he's calling. But I think it's another thing just to overrun and just interrupt and just say what he has to say and not let the other two in. I want to make sure it's very clear that I think that Mauro Ranallo is the best play-by-play man in the business right now. Plays play-by-play man. There's no question. In wrestling, there's I don't think that is anyone that's even close to Mauro as far as pure play-by-play and excitement. Even when the action's kind of dull, Mauro is able to raise the level of excitement in the room uh, for the NXT brand. He did the same thing on SmackDown as well. I still believe in a pure play-by-play person. I know that Vince McMahon is someone who believes in storytelling and and not necessarily calling all the moves. And I understand it's not radio, it's television. However, there are some things that need to be explained, like why these moves are taking place and how the wrestlers are feeling or how does it feel when this hold is applied. 
that's when Nigel comes in. That's when Beth comes in. And I have said the same thing that Corey Graves has said, and that is that Morrow could be a little bit more inclusive. It's one thing to get your stuff over as a play-by-play guy. It's another to just overrun the broadcast. Uh, I hadn't heard that when Morrow does boxing. I have not heard that a ton when he does MMA. But for some reason with this NXT brand or working with the WWE, he's taking up 75% of the oxygen in that broadcast booth, and I don't think it's right. However, me saying that on a podcast, for my opinion, because that's why you're listening, you're here to hear my opinions, it's another thing for me to say it. It's another thing for Corey Graves to put that out on Twitter. And clearly... That was him trying to take a shot at, at Mauro Ronaldo. And I'm thinking that if I'm Corey, I say something tomorrow, or I say something to Vince, or I say something to Michael Cole, who's producing these announcers, play-by-play and color. He's the head of the announcers, and you say something. Now, it, it is bothersome to me, but not to the point where I will not watch NXT. I do think that Mauro should be more uh, you know, into leaning on Nigel, leaning on Beth, and making it a complete booth. This is not the last time this has happened, by the way. This has happened in the, in the past. I mean, Jim Ross did that as well in the NWA, um, where he worked with Bob Cottle, and I think that was a great one-two punch. But sometimes Jim was taking it and, and really hitting the, you know, pushing the pedal to the metal and would lose his voice. And he wouldn't lose his voice in the late 80s, if he would allow Bob to have more of a voice in the broadcast. It wasn't a bad broadcast, but I just think that even me really being able to try to get better as a play-by-play voice myself doing basketball for UIC and doing for the Windy City Bulls, you have to be more inclusive to your partner and be able to take a little bit of a step back because your broadcast partners are the experts. You're just calling the play-by-play. And this is, again, not a shot necessarily 100% at Morrow. It's just that he just needs to be able to to allow Nigel and Beth to have a voice. That's all. But as I mentioned, Corey Graves says this and puts it on Twitter. Has he talked to Morrow about it? Has he talked to Michael Cole about it? I might be bothersome to him, but he is a co-worker, and that's something that should be internal and not put out there for public consumption. I don't think that that's proper. Uh, and, of course, the mental health piece of this is that Morrow has had problems this past summer and is well-documented, his mental health issues, and he's been an advocate of it. There was a documentary, uh, the Bipolar Rocker Roller, I believe it was, from Showtime. I saw that. And he struggled with it, sure. And here's the thing. Two sides of that coin. One, if you know that he's going through those issues, you know that any little thing probably set him off. He's a guy that's about positivity and doing things his own way. At the same time, though, if you're an employer and you are saying, hey, Mauro, you need to dial down a little bit, does he just go into a dark place and won't be available for work? That's something that you have to think about as an employer. And this is not a a problem I have with Mauro, but just understand here's the situation that's going on with him. And so Corey says this, and all of a sudden, Morrow just disappears. This is the, the last time this happened, where Morrow just kind of disappeared. He was on SmackDown, and he was a play-by-play voice. And, you know, there, there was 
some conjecture out there that JBL went over the top when he was doing color with them. Said, okay, Mr. Call Everything, Mr. Play-By-Play, man, blah, 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 playing the heel character role. All of a sudden, Morrow just went away. So it's a slippery slope when you're Vince McMahon in the WWE because can you can you tell Morrow, hey, we want to have more Nigel, more Beth, and does he turn tail and say, okay, I can't handle it, I got to do it my way, or I can't do it at all? You know, as a company, you have to be able to govern and you've got to be able to manage your talent. So, again, two sides of that coin. Corey shouldn't have put that on Twitter. It should have been something that was handled internally. On the other end, if the WWE has a problem with Mauro Ronaldo, then don't hire him or try to manage him so you can have the broadcast that you want if you're a WWE. Because I would imagine that Corey Graves' opinion is probably shared with others in that company. But Morrow does it his way, and he does it spectacularly. He's better than anybody in the business doing it. It's old school, but it's new school at the same time, and it's great. But, you know, again, it, it's not for everybody. So that's something to be that's something to consider. Now, Corey, if you notice in Survivor Series, I thought he was suspended or something. It was almost like a half-ass suspension because we didn't hear Corey Graves for the first almost ninety minutes, almost two hours of the broadcast, and then he was able to do more color with uh, various partners, Michael Cole and I believe Vic Joseph as well. So on the podcast after the bell with Corey Graves. Uh, part of the podcasting network that WWE has started, Corey Graves apologized for the comments that he made, um, but did not name the person he's apologizing to. Uh, interesting. I was wondering what he's going to say, and he said this. On a personal note, I need to address something. This past Saturday, during the TakeOver War Games event, I sent out a tweet it was an unpopular opinion, as I often do, with the intention of just stirring up a little controversy, maybe have something fun to talk about on TV or here on the show. Uh, it was maybe not the most professional way to go about things, and it was never meant to offend or disrespect or disparage anybody. That was never my intention. Uh, if it was taken as such, I apologize deeply. That was not my intention. I would never intentionally cause anybody any undue stress, especially a coworker. So I apologize. Thoughts there from Corey Graves. Yes, you did do that for a reason to have, not for effect, not just store up controversy. Why? Is this something that's going to be talked about on SmackDown? You're going to talk to Cole about it? <laughs> well, was this going to be something that was a talking point on After the Bell, his own podcast? No. He said it in the moment because he got frustrated that Nigel and Beth weren't talking enough. And so instead of being able to internalize it, he put it on Twitter. And so now the WWE said, you got to apologize, but never mention Morrow by name. Why? If you had the balls to put it out there, like I have the balls to tell you that I think that Morrow should be better to utilize his co-hosts, and I've said it several times on the podcast, why can't he say Morrow's name? Interesting times in the WWE. Be a star. Glad that you're with us here on TWT, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, now twice a week. As we are going to turn now to Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. Josh is uh, still hungover from four dates at the Allstate Arena in Rosemont to see the WWE for Survivor Series weekend. Hello, Josh. 
everybody the hood of Lopez. I am ready. I still have energy inside of me. I'm not fully. Faith is not empty. So we'll say that. <laughs> okay, well, you but you still have energy. You're still around, though. After all of that, all that wrestling, you're okay. Yep, I, I have a lot to take. I have no reason to complain at this point in my life. <laughs> all right. Well, that's, that's fine. All right. Well, thank you much, JR, for that. Um, so I want to get your thoughts on everything uh, that you saw. What 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 was the atmosphere like for the shows? How how different were they from Raw to SmackDown to NXT and Survivor Series? I just thought four shows had a different feel to it. Uh, for Friday, uh, it was the biggest night where you had the young kids and the families out there. Saturday, you got the younger audience that you probably would see at an AEW show tonight since you recorded this on a Wednesday. Uh, and then Survivor Series, you got everybody in the building, you got hardcore fans, you got every wrestling fan in the city of Chicago it was packed in that building. By the way, I've been to wrestling shows at the All-Fan Arena my entire life. I think that was the quickest I ever got out of the building on Sunday. And me and my uncle, who I was going to all these shows with, yeah. <laughs> we were shocked. We literally, you know how it is in that parking lot, how brutal it could be at times getting out of that building. Yeah. We got out literally in, in 90 seconds once we got to our car. <laughs> wow, did you park where the, did you park where the wrestlers park? No. <laughs> I wish we did, but I don't know. I guess God was looking down on us before the holiday. Yeah, there's no question about that. Well, let me ask you first about SmackDown because... You know, again, this is on Fox, and I want to know whether or not you felt this SmackDown was uh, as similar to other SmackDowns you've been to. Now that it's on Fox, I won't lie. I, I originally felt walking into the building that show altered emotions, but this from the beginning of the show where you had Rhea Ripley fight Sasha Banks and Charlotte, and then we had that crazy ending where uh, they re redid the old. Uh, excavation with the the military truck. I thought it was kind of a cool visual because they have this rampway where they go inside the tunnel of the Allstate Arena and you have the entire NXT crew there with uh, Triple H and Shawn Michaels and Road Dog was randomly there. I forgot that he's working with NXT. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just all of that and that energy especially when that brawl was going down. I knew there was going to be a brawl to hype up the pay-per-view for this past Sunday. But just the energy and everything that went down inside that final segment was really off the charts. And I thought that brawl alone set the tone for what the weekend was going to be. What about the crowd? Was the crowd into it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Big time. You know, the reason why I ask is because sometimes on television it doesn't it doesn't correlate it doesn't translate so that's why I ask you like since you were there in the crowd and you know if it was hot then that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is with WWE shows. Uh, they do a bad job of literally getting the actual feel of the audience levels because uh, when I was rewatching the shows because I still got to do the, the particular articles for all of these shows over the weekend, uh, especially Survivor Series. There were certain matches where the volume in the audience was off, and it wasn't the case when you're inside the building. So I don't know why that's the case. Uh, even the Dakota Kai heel turn at War Games, uh, listening it back on the network, that volume was way lower than what it actually was inside the building. Yeah, let, let's move on to that because 
Obviously, if it's NXT and if it's a takeover, it's going to be great. Uh, there has not been a bad takeover in the it's ever so that it's always been something quality. You know, so maybe sometimes the matches one match is better than the other, but but the effort's right. always there. It reminds you of. Uh, the good Clash of Champions uh, back in the early days. It reminds you of when Saturday Night's main event was on the top of its game. So it's it's a terrific show, Josh. I, I just thought that, you know, looking at, at that show, it reminded me of, of Triple H and how thoughtful he is of trying to put everything together, telling a story, and I just thought that the matches were pretty strong. This was my fourth takeover I've, I've attended over the years as a fan. I went to the previous... Uh, two here in Chicago, and then I went to the uh, Takeover show in New Orleans with Johnny Gargano for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this was my favorite Takeover I have attended so far. Just from a general show point of view, uh, there wasn't a match that I felt dragged or overstayed his welcome. Uh, he had a lot of fun and entertaining things that happened in that first women's working match to kick off the show, and then you know you would think the crowd was simmer down and like give some of the other matches like silent treatment but you gotta give credit with credit too I thought Pete Dawn and Damian Priest and Killian Day they did their job to get the crowd back into it and then you had the Matt Riddle Finn Balor match which was really good in the interesting clash of styles like you got to see the Finn Balor that everybody loved what before he signed to the WWE in 2014 it was just an awesome night and uh, you know just looking back at that show uh the, the moment, I think the loudest that building got over the weekend was when Kevin Owens was the surprise uh, final person for Team Champa in the men's War Games match. It was just a wonderful wrestling show from top to bottom, and I had a blaster on Saturday night. Yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll say this, and I, I know this is, goes back to our show last week, and I said, you know, okay, we've seen enough of Dakota Kai. It's only because I didn't know Dakota Kai would turn heel and just be vicious. I had no idea. First of all, I didn't know that Dakota Kai was even on the radar as someone that would do that. Um, what she did at Tegan Knox was vicious. Is exactly what the what it needed because it's a swerve. Nobody saw it coming, and that is really the essence of wrestling, Josh. You want to be able to surprise the audience. Not not Vince Russo swerve bro. I mean, actually shock the audience with something that's not expected. And I think that that's, that's what you want. It's a war games. You think everybody's on the same page, and all of a sudden, things change. So, you know, obviously now, when I see Dakota Kai now in this light as a heel, um, this is something good. Now, here's a question. Is Dakota Kai versus Tegan Knox box office? That's the question because you can go one of two ways. It could either be, you know, one of the best rivalries that we will see, or it could be Marty Jannetty versus Shawn Michaels. I don't know which one it is. That's going to be an interesting conundrum here because Tegan Knox hasn't been on television enough to have that backstory with Dakota Kai. Right. Poor girl had multiple knee surgeries over the last couple of years, and she's just coming back and getting her feet back in there, you know? <laughs> so, uh, Here's the thing, and this is a takeaway I had from the weekend overall. You're mentioning you weren't seeing the Dakota uh, Kai heels are coming. One of the main takeaways I had is that a lot of us in today's society and wrestling, we, due to past decisions and trends in the business, we tend to assume how things are going to go and not actually enjoy the moment as it happens. I can't tell you how many different times while sitting at all 40 shows, 
you would have people just automatically assume that this bad angle is going to happen or that was going to, like, I, I was trying to understand the point of people spending money to go to events to A, already predict these moments before it happens, or B, already tell you why a match or a show is going to suck before it even starts. Like, <laughs> it was something that really bothered me at times over the weekend. But then you had, like, the cool moments where you have Dakota Kai have that turn. You have Kevin Owens be the guy that shows up at the end of the show. You have Keith Lee be one of the final guys in the Men's Survivor Series match. I think a lot of us in wrestling say it's fans of just way, they pull the trigger gun way too quick and assuming them how these are going to go instead of letting it play out and enjoying the moment for what it is. Yeah, think about it. You go to a movie, you don't hear people murmuring in the crowd before the you know before the opening credits saying this is exactly what's going to happen in this movie. This is what I predict because you got to see it play out. And the same thing with the WWE. Now keep in mind that maybe some of the reason why you get this is the as I've explained to you before the Dave Melter vacation of wrestling, where there is this talk before the shows podcasts like this one that try to surmise what is going to happen and uh you know and that's why it's bothersome to me when you go to shows and you hear that um you know in the crowd when you just want to be able to enjoy it but just understand this is where we are now like it's been going on for generations but i think it's stronger now because everybody believes that they are smart Everybody believes that they got the angle. Everybody hears Wrestling Observer and ProWrestling.net and this show and that show, and they feel they got the angle when you really don't. And I tell you what, when it comes to NXT programming, you really don't know what's going to happen because of the unpredictability of Triple H and Shawn Michaels and those guys booking it. You could predict probably what's going to happen on Raw and SmackDown more easier than you can a Triple H book show. Right, and well, here's another thing. You have 20-plus years of experience watching how Raw and SmackDown are produced on television. Yeah. So you're starting a foundation there. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. With Triple H, you don't. You never know, which uh, which I love which I love because that's the essence of. <laughs> so that's ultimately is to be able to have that that great unknown. Um, so I- I'll tell you the women's um. The women's war games match was a hell of a lot better than I thought it was going to be. You see the names and you see the battle. I will say that they had the best buildup of anybody on the weekend because we saw it on NXT. The video packages, how they set everything up was tremendous. And and this is a weekend where Rhea Ripley was made. We, You and I called it weeks ago how much we enjoy her on NXT UK, but you could see a star is born from that show this weekend. She's the star. Uh, let's just be honest. Let's call it what it is. She's the star. Uh, for me, it's just looking for how she started the weekend. Uh, like this, beating Charlotte on beating Charlotte and Sasha on Saturday. Right to winning and being a sole survivor in the War Games match and at Survivor Series, the girls, her ceiling is, <laughs> there's no bounds. But I don't want to take away from what Kaylee Ray did as well in this match, speaking of NXT UK uh, performers. She, I thought she was kind of like the glue performer in that match where she would take some super nasty spots where you're doing cold reds off the top rope and just some of the spots in the set. 
I from where I was sitting in the arena, I had a nice visual of seeing where both, most of the action was going on in both rings. It was kind of cool to see my first war beans match in person. I'm not going to lie. It was, it, was, it was a fun experience. Uh, she, her and Bianca Belair especially, played as big as a part in that match as anybody else that was in that World Games match. No, there's no doubt about that. Um, I want to ask you about um, uh, Balor against Bro. When you have Finn Balor against, um, when you got Finn, Finn Balor in that matchup, what did you think of that match in particular? Because I thought that, you know, I want to see this match six to seven times in a row. Riddle against Balor is box office to me. I think they made the best out of a bad situation. I think a lot of people were looking forward to Finn Balor and Johnny Gargano. Originally, that was one of the main reasons why a lot of people bought tickets for this event besides the War Games matches. And I think, at least in my opinion, I thought Balor and Riddle exceeded expectations. Just like you, I hope they have more matches on uh, TV and hopefully the feud continues. I, I thought it was a really good showcase for Matt Riddle facing a guy with a bigger uh, resume. But at the same time, yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned um, you mentioned uh, Kevin Owens, and I, I know that there's some NXT fans that might be salty and thinking, man, because he was the fourth member of Team Champa, now he's going to be an NXT guy. But th- you could just tell that uh, that the WWE has bigger plans for Kevin Owens. Yeah, I'd love to see him every Wednesday because now, once again, it's another component that's a must-see on Wednesday nights. But if he's going to be a bigger part of the puzzle, if he's lost in the sauce, I'd be pissed. But if he's going to be vying for the you know, Universal Championship or if he's going to have bigger roles on that show, then that's definitely fine with me. But I can understand how an NXT fan says, man, he comes in as the fourth guy, and then all of a sudden he's on Monday Night Raw stunning people. And it's like, ah. But still, if they're going to utilize him properly, Josh, I'm totally fine with him being on Monday nights. Right, and I thought one of the funniest lines of the week, uh, <laughs> Owen said to Seth Rollins, NXT doesn't need me, but Raw certainly does need Kevin Owens. And uh, I agree to a certain extent, because when you look at the Monday Night Raw roster, like, you need more baby faces. We talked about that already on this show. They need more good guys on that brand. So I thought, you know, here's the thing we constantly say on this show, Triple H could pull a rabbit off his back and bring a performer that did really good at NXT uh, in the past, at times like this, when you need a surprise for the audience, and it worked out to perfection. <laughs> it was one of the biggest pops of the show. Uh, it had good storyline ties into it because the Undisputed Era attacked Kevin Owens on Raw a couple weeks ago, so it made sense for him to be in that match. And it was just—it was a really awesome moment. I know Kevin had a big. Um, special connection with the city of Chicago from his past ringing in Ring of Honor and AAW in the past. So it was just a cool moment for the fans in the city and also for Kevin himself. I agree with you. Uh, the Survivor Series, my God, man, on Sunday, that's just... It's just it's a really long show. I'm not going to complain about the the length because 
you know, I could read about the earlier shows and just tune in at six o'clock p.m. Central Time and check out the rest of the show. But it was now you were there from the beginning to the end. How many bathroom breaks is that for you? <laughs> well, here's the story. I didn't get to the building till at least five forty-five, so that was right around where the new day were fighting uh, the Undisputed Era at the Viking Raiders. So I didn't attend and see the entire pre-show. I, I was not there for that. There was some bad traffic, uh, especially for people coming out of the Bears game at that time. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I did not, I wasn't in attendance for the pre-show. I was at the, towards the end of it. Uh, but it, I think I had like two faster uh, um, breaks during the show. It wasn't that bad, actually. From from when we got to the show until the end of Survivor Series, I actually thought the show flew by in person. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's good because you don't f- want to feel like you're there forever, like you know, like WrestleMania when you're there for eight hours. You you can, but here's the thing: you can you can pick and choose to see what you want. So I I, I totally get it. I I don't understand that. So what was your your biggest takeaway from Survivor Series that that stood out to you? First off, just the culmination of the story of you know putting NXT on a bigger pedestal. And that was showcased throughout the entire night where NXT won the majority of the matches. For me personally, I thought Adam, uh, Adam Cole and Pete Dunne had the best match of the show. Uh, the energy in that building. And I got to give props to Adam for what he's put his body through over the past month and the quality of matches he keeps delivering week in and week out. Uh, they literally sold the show on Sunday. Uh, that was a fantastic title match. And then you got to see, uh, we were talking about Rhea Ripley earlier, she outlined that first uh, Women's Survivor Series match. And then you had the interaction with Keith Lee and Roman Reigns, which besides the Cole Adams Dunn match, that was my favorite part of the show, was the interaction with Keith Lee and Roman Reigns at the end of that Survivor Series match. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people are kind of indifferent and felt a little disappointed with how the, the main event went with Shayna Baszler winning, but um, I, for the majority of the show, I had a blast in the fact that it just it, it tied everything together. I didn't think anybody were made out to look weak. Maybe if you disagree with that, I want to get your thoughts on that, but just overall, I, I thought it match the Friday full circle for what we've seen on television the last month. No, that's I think that's I think that's accurate, especially when it comes to to Brock and Rey Mysterio. The story was told there. Rey was not made to look weak uh at all. Not not to me. Um there was a story told. You knew that match wasn't gonna go 15, 20 minutes. I saw this right. match fifteen years ago. It's good to see Dominic that's involved in the storyline. And so, you know, I don't think it hurt either guy, I and mean, clearly it didn't because Ray had one of the biggest pops of the weekend, winning um, the championship on um, on Monday. But it just, to me, I think that that was fine. Um, Daniel Bryan against the Fiend is is what is kind of what I thought would happen. Um, you know, somehow, some way, Daniel Bryan is <laughs> is what me and Mark Henry talked about on Busted Open, right? I said that that Bray Wyatt needs to be uh, one way or the other, babyface or heel. Now, he's a character babyface. There's no doubt. However, 
when you put him in a, a match with Daniel Bryan, someone who the fans want to root for, and they were getting behind because he started raising his arms like he did old school and got the yes chance behind him. So that made him a baby face. Now, as I mentioned to Mark Henry, I'll say this to you, it's too bad that this match took place on Survivor Series. I'm going, I'm going, you know, Chicago, I'm sure I was happy to see that match, but the build should have been toward Royal Rumble. The build should have been toward when worlds collide or something like that, because now you are building, um, you are building Daniel Bryan as a babyface, saying, "Hey, you know, I'm crazy, I'm whacked out, but you know what? I'm I'm turning babyface again. I want you to get behind me again because I need you to get behind me because this is the only way that I can defeat Bray Wyatt. This is not like the quasi. Don't know if I'm healed. Don't know if I'm a babyface, Seth Rollins." It's different with with uh, Daniel Bryan, Josh, because the fans yeah. are behind Daniel Bryan. Even when he was with the freaking Wyatt family, they were behind him because he's the ultimate underdog, and he'd be the ultimate underdog in this match. But they rushed it through, and I don't know if there's going to be a rematch. It really should be, but it's now like the match is done, so I don't know what's next. But th- th- I wish this match was in January instead of November because. Then you can build Daniel as a babyface that way. You can reestablish him. Right. I should say as a babyface. I should say it that way. I I totally see where you come from with that. Here's the thing: with Daniel Bryan and the Fiend being a program that you would build build into WrestleMania, like when you start at the Rumble and conclude from there. Or from what I'm from what I'm looking at right now, from SmackDown and the fact that Bray's on that brand. I think whether people like it or not, I think it's going to build up to him against Braun Strowman with their history together. So I think him and having the view with Daniel Bryan to work now through the Royal Rumble, but like you're saying, you want to have more history and more stories built into this match so you get a bigger reaction out of it instead of being in the middle of Survivor Series. I guess where you're coming from with that, I guess there's just a lot of things that are getting in the way of that as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like he, he just finished a feud with Seth Rollins, who like was he? Who was he really, realistically, realistically gonna fight at Survivor Series? Or you could toss this option: maybe the Fiend didn't have to be on Survivor Series. Well, there you go. Oh, how about that? The world champion doesn't have, or the universal champion doesn't have to necessarily be a Survivor Series. What's wrong? Not wrong with that. <laughs> I don't know. Keep keep him fresh. He doesn't have to be out there every week. There doesn't have to be a firehouse every week, but. But you know, okay, so, Josh, the real money for me as a fan in WrestleMania is Wyatt against The Undertaker. That's the, I mean, that's the real money. Because you know why? Strowman is one of these guys that doesn't need the championship. <laughs> but, and, and, and if he did, he'd be champion by now. Every big match, every big match he falls down. Every big match that you expect him to beat. Uh, Brock Lesnar, for him to be the heavyweight champion, it's not there. So maybe he doesn't need a championship, or you just put him in these big spots for him to take the fall. And if, if it's Bray against, uh, if it's Bray against Braun, all right, cool. But if Braun loses, then what is he? You know what he is? He's he's the new Big Show. That's what he is. He's the new king. Yep. Well, seriously, really. I mean, honestly. Well, the, that story would have to be that he's the monster that demolished his uh, master, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like the old, it's like the old Star Wars story 
I'm not a big Star Wars fan, but I, I know the gist of that story and it would relate to their history together, the Wyatt family. Um, I, you know, I was there and I covered WrestleMania 31 in Santa Clara when uh, Bray Wyatt first wrestled The Undertaker. And it's, it's interesting, like, with a lot of what Bray Wyatt's doing right now, he's kind of recollecting on the things that wrestlers did wrong in the past when he was just a regular guy. Uh, so it, would that be a program I'd like to see be revisited and him actually be the one to put The Undertaker away as Undertaker being my all-time favorite wrestler? I, I, I'd be down for that. I mean, c- c- because there's the money. If you build it correctly, there's your money. A- and if it's Braun, it's Braun. But I'm just saying, like, so when I see Braun Strowman, I see an underachiever. That's hard to say for a guy that says, get these hands. But he, he is an underachiever because he hasn't won enough big matches for me to believe they can beat the Fiend. Just saying, like, uh, but but again, it's all about build and perception. That's what it's about. Just build a perception. Uh, I'm. I will tell you this. As far as the men Survivor Series match, um, somebody has to take the fall. Not Walter. Not out. Not out of the box. You don't do that to the champion. That's that's bullshit. You don't do that. Now you could do that to like Shorty G or some of this other nonsense, but you don't do that to Walter and make him out of some jobber. Yeah, I, I thought they would use the Mavericks ball boys to be the first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the Mavericks ball yeah. boy. And, yeah, that was kind of unfortunate. And one thing, uh, the only thing that really threw me off, at least for a presentation standpoint, I didn't think I know it probably takes forever to have everybody's entrance come out, but I didn't think all the teams needed to come out through their brand theme song. Like, I like ACDC, but I don't need to hear their song five times throughout the show. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I, I really love Walter's theme song. I think it's one of the best songs in wrestling. I agree. I agree. So, um, yeah, it was unfortunate. I, I know that he's the one that started the match, and that's how they went with that. But, yeah, that was kind of unfortunate. Uh, I, here's a thing when it came to the Fire Series. I was wondering when it was going to get to the point where the fans were going to go into business into themselves because there was a wild weekend, there was a lot of shows going on, and they were just going to crap up certain matches. I know they were all over Seth Rollins for the constant game about CM Punk, and there was a zillion punk chance. Uh, they had their whole thing with Roman, but I think they made the best out of that. Like, Tommaso Tampa, I thought he made, he made them look strong in that match. Yes, yes, and, uh, and for those that have not seen him and didn't watch NXT, now you got someone that is, I mean, he's a legit badass. He, he definitely is. Um, and apparently, also made is Keith Lee, because Vince McMahon had a boner, apparently, watching Keith Lee. I guess he hadn't seen Keith Lee before, and then he sees him, and I think he's, apparently, everything I'm, I'm reading, he's enamored with Keith Lee. Yeah, he's uh, enamored him just like Jr. was with Doctor Death. <laughs> <laughs> Probably very much so. Here's a question for you, sir. This is this is not a knock. I'm just asking the question. If yeah. if if you and I were in a Survivor Series match, and I saw you being pinned, and you look like you were really in trouble, don't you think I would come in and make the save? Yes. Okay. <laughs> just asking. I, I, I mean, I, how many Survivor Series yet matches do you see 
where somebody puts their finish on, you know, one of their teammates and they don't come in and make the save. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's been going on since 88. I don't understand why that is. Here's the funny thing. Uh, right before the match started, I was telling my uncle, man, you have 15 dudes on the, in the ring. There's like the biggest collection of egos, high flyers, body yeah. guys, technical wrestlers. It's like a island of misfit toys in that match. It's a ton. It's a ton. But it, because he's your teammate, though, make a go in there and make a save every now and then so he doesn't get pinned. That's just a thought. I don't know. I agree. Uh, so, um, the undisputed era, as you mentioned, with um, with Pete Dunne and Adam Cole, I would agree with you. That was a hell of a match, and the undisputed era is over. That there's no doubt that they're over. I I. I wonder what your thoughts are because I, I want to get your thoughts on the the uh, number one contender belts the those guys the Shinsuke's the um, you know watching Roderick Strong uh, I, I want to know your thoughts about that match because you know I didn't expect Roddy to win that one I I wasn't expecting that either. Um... I thought they were kind of put in a hard place. I'm not going to lie. Uh, there was a lot of hot elements that was in that first match. Uh, I thought the women did a great job in the Survivor Series match. Yep. And, you know, they trying to get the crowd back into that match. Uh, I thought Nakamura and AJ and Ronnie did a good job with those circumstances. It did catch me off guard because I thought it was going to be something where it would be more interference with Sammy and the OC running in and then the Attitude Aaron guys come back out. I'm glad there wasn't as much interference. I know Sammy like, was throwing a connection thing <laughs> during the match, but mm-hmm. uh, they told the story in the ring, and uh, we always say Roger Strong's the ultimate spot picker, so <laughs> yeah. he his character, so he did a really good job there. I like that, and before we get to the main event, I will prove my point again, sir, that Vince McMahon doesn't like to lose at anything, anything. And so what happened with them hot-shotting, leading into Survivor Series and promoting Survivor Series? Hopefully the numbers were good for it because of everything they did to try to get your interest as a fan. Vince McMahon doesn't want to lose. And so the momentum from Survivor Series should carry NXT to more victories against AEW. I love how the WWE fans, and you can see this as soon as the numbers come out, oh, when NXT has won the last like seven weeks in a row, oh, you know, numbers don't really matter. Uh, Ratings don't really matter. Yes, they do matter because it gives you a gauge on who's watching and what you could do better as an organization. So the idea that the WWE fan looks at NXT and goes, oh, you know, I, I don't know why ratings really matter in 2019. Oh, they matter. It matters to Vince because this is the reason why we saw Becky Lynch, Seth Rollins, big-time stars on NXT in that arena at Full Sail because he wants to have the, the those shows that you saw carry over into Wednesday nights. So that way, hey, if you don't know who the Undisputed Era is, if you don't know who Io Shirai is, if you don't know who these wrestlers are, uh, Shayna Baszler, here they are on Survivor Series. Now, if you aren't watching, now you will be invested on Wednesday nights. That's why right. that happened. That's why, because Vince didn't want to, is tired of losing, and that's his way of doing it until he gets to bigger buildings in 2020. It's all about competition. You can take whatever narrative you want with this whole situation. I just look at it like this. Uh, you know, 
you have the guys come, you have the guys grow come into the show, the go home show for takeover, right? So you beat AEW. You're focused on staying with them on Wednesday night. A, you promote War Games. B, and then you're also tying it to Fire Street. Yes, it's in the spirit of competition, but at the end of the day, it's good business too. But uh, and, and and good business in trying to win everything. Winning one, and actually, actually, SmackDown is not winning on Friday night. Hawaii Five O is beating SmackDown, but but the point is, is that you want to have high ratings and interest across the board, and not be second rate to AEW if you can help it. Even you know, yeah, it's a it's a marathon. There's no doubt, but I think that this weekend helped NXT's cause to hold on and expand their numbers on USA. Well, this is the one thing I'll say about this. I don't think we need long statements from Cody or Triple H whenever they lose a particular week of program. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the numbers should say what needs to be said. I'll, uh, you at making prepared statements or Chris Jericho saying that NXT is not what it was back then and it's still the minor leagues, that's compounding the issue that you're already dealing with. Uh, me and you have always been on the same wavelength when it comes to the whole NXT and AEW thing. It's good for the business. It's good for the wrestling fans. We should enjoy the show for what they are. Uh, I take the approach that I'm not in the boardroom, so the ratings don't affect me because I'm not responsible for it. But for those who are responsible, it does matter. Yeah, well, it makes sense to me. I totally get it. I'm responding to those fans that feel like it's us against them and it's like it's actually good for everybody to have a good viable option uh for professional wrestling on wednesday nights it's great um i I, i'm gonna say something that uh i haven't said before and i i gotta say it you know watching bailey and Shayna baszler and watching uh becky lynch out there we talk about tough spots on sunday that was the toughest spot um, that you can imagine because of several things. One is Vince wanting to get NXT talent over, fine. But here, here's what you notice about Shayna Baszler, the, the new Fabius Mula. Baszler is good one-on-one when she can have the match the way she wants it. But when she has to be able to take on high flyers or doing anything outside of her trying to do submission moves or those moves that look like she's breaking arms and breaking fingers and stuff like that, Josh, she's not that she's not that polished yet. She's not that polished yet. Like if we're going to a show, and we know that Baszler on the top of the card. I don't know if that's the draw, is you know because I think that she, she wasn't lost Sunday, but it was a different dynamic for her than it is on NXT programming. Becky Lynch is totally different than uh than Baszler and so is Bailey. They move a little faster. And Baszler's there and she takes, you know, she takes a beating. She gives a beating too, but it's it's what I told you before. Baszler is good in any era. Her style would have got over in the 50s. Her style would have got over in the 70s because that was a style then. It's just kind of like plotting you know, submission moves, a couple of spots here, not necessarily high spots, but a couple of spots, and then you're, the match is over. And, and I don't think that she did as well as she could have in that environment because it's a three-way. It was just it's a different uh, speed, I think, for ba- for Baszler. She won, yes, but it wasn't her best night, I don't think. Well, 
like you said, she's not as polished yet. But I don't think Bailey is as polished as Fields. And that's something where it was kind of a disconnect for me during the match because Bailey just turned about like a month and a half ago, right? Right. And she's dominating like the majority of the match. And she's not, her character right now is not at the point where you're actually getting real heat. It's like we're still trying to see if this is actually going to last. Is she going to turn back to a good guy in a month or so? You know what I mean? So it's like, um, there's, there's a disconnect there in that element. I, I don't know why Bailey is such an emphasis in the structure of that match. I started noticing that most of while I was retranscribing the match. Like, it was like Bailey 70% Becky selling for the majority of the match and Shayna doing what she does. <laughs> And then, you know, you're in the main event. Um, I think a lot of people, I, I think people were kind of shocked with Brock and Ramsdale exceeding uh, their expectations for that particular match. I didn't think the women should have been the main event of that match. Like, if you wanted that to be the semi-main event, that's fine. Uh, I, it's just a rough spot because I thought Brock and Ray exceeded their expectations for that particular match. And then you have people going on their Twitter waiting to find out for spoilers that Ronda Rousey's going to show up at the end. So they're all waiting for that to happen. And it, there, there's just no heat. Like, even when Becky was, like, getting her momentum and making the comeback, uh, either Bailey cut her off and then it just took the air out of the building. I, I felt bad for all three of them. It's just a rough place at the wrong time because I think people have expectations of Ronda showing up at the end. They didn't get that, and then the match wasn't what they were expecting either. Maybe Becky Lynch, maybe she's not over. That could be a possibility. <laughs> I'm just, and that's, I'm not taking a shot at Becky. I'm just saying, like, listen, if you have her on all these different shows for media, right? And she, right. she's on ESPN commercials, and she's the man, and she's marketed the man as a, as a slow. I mean. Keep in mind that The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Chris Jericho, go up and down the line of the Attitude Era, go to the NWO and WCW, go to Goldberg, Ric Flair, whatever. If you're going to be that person where you are in a spotlight, it has to be more than just saying, I'm the man and doing a few, you know, a few interviews and not doing anything that besides the disarmor as a signature. Each one of those people I just mentioned has something. Where, where, yes, you are into that character, but there's got to be more. There's got to be layers to it. You just can't say, well, the, the, the biggest star in our company is Becky Lynch, and then she's in this kind of match. Where she gets an initial pop because of her music, and then when she's in the ring, the fans are sitting on their hands. And that's, you know, in the end, that's all about trying to, to develop a character. And I think that Becky Lynch in name is over. But is she over? Is she over where even the next couple in the, in the 2020 Tampa WrestleMania, should she be in the main event? I mean, that's 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 the question. That was a mid-card match, if nothing else, for that. And it's it, it doesn't matter the spot. Look, if, if the match was hot, if the story was hot, yeah, it deserves yeah. to be in the main event. But don't put it in there because we got a woman and she's the man. She's the main event. Well, it's tepid. It, it it's it's not over. It's it's Kofi. If it's it's the equivalent of you put Kofi Kingston in that spot as a heavyweight champion, it's not over, and that's that's a problem. Well, you also have to fact look at 
Becky was the first match on SummerSlam this year. That's and that was appropriate. And since then, that her character has a warrant for being back in that final spot. <laughs> and by the way, Josh, and Summers in that match with um with uh, the boss, that was the best match of the card, and it was first. Yep. Right. <laughs> so, what that was? What was the Hell in the Cell? What was it? What? What? What show was that? Hell in the Cell. Well, SummerSlam, she had the submissive match with Natalia, and then a Hell in the Cell it was Sasha Banks. That's it. Hell in the Cell. That was the best match on Hell in the Cell for me. Right. <laughs> it was first. <laughs> so and it, it was like okay, it was a it, it's a rare rare do you see two women in a cage match like that in Hell in the Cell. And it was kind of like, okay, you know what? That match was hot. Follow that. Can you follow that? And it was hard for some of the guys to follow that. But in this spot, because of the length of the show and, uh, you know, it just with Baszler, it was just a little bit of a disconnect. And then, as you mentioned with um, with uh, Bailey, Bailey's not a heel. Bailey's not a heel. And if she was a heel, she's a do heel tendencies. She's got to be able to do something in the ring that makes you think, yeah, she's totally turned. You can't tell. She, all she's doing is got her head down, concentrating on the next move. There's nothing heel about her except that bad haircut. Yeah. <laughs> Rosie Donald in the, in the Rose, oh my, Rose Bart or Rose O'Donnell in the rest of the <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, sir, as we wrap up here, is there any other um, – I know Pro Wrestling Transcriptions is hot. I cannot believe, after everything you've seen, you've caught up with everything on this doggone website here. You, you've got uh, Impact, which I, will, I refuse to watch, and you've got NWA Power on here as well. So you've all, you, got, you got us all updated here. Yep, and the infamous AEW Dark as well. Well, that's where I get my information because I don't watch that show. But I, but I, I get my information from you. I don't have time to watch. But that's why you're here. That's why I can always come to ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com to check it out. And uh, oh, and I'm so happy by the way on Power. Ah, oh, my girl, she's she has been missing from my wrestling life for a long time. Melina Perez. Yes. <laughs> Her interview was really good on uh, last night. When I was watching it. You know, it's all part of the, the reason why I got into this business. Just because it's something I've always wanted to do. Um, I have a musical background, and I took a lot of my work ethic I've had in my life, and I employ it to the stuff that I do and the stuff that I'm passionate about. I didn't get a lot of sleep, but I didn't. I didn't complain about it. I didn't blink an eye. I have a job. I have a responsibility to the people that enjoy the content that I dish out every week. And, you know, I was telling you earlier that I've been running with a running nose. Yeah. <laughs> I've been feeling great the last day and a half. But here I am, you know, this is the passion I have for this business. It's something I've always wanted to do in my life. And I have no regrets. <laughs> you know, I, I've i been catching up with all the shows, and I've also been quietly been working and trying to uh, get down this Broken Skull Sessions with The Undertaker at Stokehold. I've been actually uh, transcribing a podcast for the first time. So uh, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun, and I have no regrets to doing so. All right, my friend. Well, uh, as always, I appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, and uh, we'll talk next week. This is a different episode for us because we're not reviewing the Wednesday Night Wars, but there was so much in Chicago we had to talk about it. Uh, likewise, and it's a holiday because we don't have to talk about the Dark Order. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, not, no conversation about that. 
No conversation about the Forgotten Sons Dark Order. That's great. All right. <laughs> so, so thank you, my friend. Thank you, Hoodie. Good to hear from Josh Lopez from Pro Trans, ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. Go to the website, bookmark that. That way that you're caught up with wrestling around the United States and across the country and around the world. ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Don't forget, if you have not checked out previous episodes of TWT, I give my thoughts about Jim Cornette and uh, the fallout with him in the NWA. Also, a great interview I did with John Moxley. John Moxley of AEW. As AEW has come to town, they're going to be in Chicago the day before Thanksgiving, and then they're going to be in Champaign um, next Wednesday. So that's part of uh, our show. Uh, matter of fact, let me look at my schedule here. Justin Roberts is scheduled to be with me. Ring announcer for AEW is going to be with me next week. He's scheduled to be with me next Tuesday. We'll see if we can solidify that. But I just looked at my email and saw that pop up. So Justin Roberts, Chicago Zone, the ring announcer for AEW is supposed to be with me. So we'll see if we can get that connected. Yeah, but uh, the John Moxley interview I thought was very compelling, very interesting, especially when he talks about how former his former teammates is his former employer at the WWE, wrestlers don't contact him. Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins or some of the other wrestlers, they don't necessarily talk to John Moxley. Check out the interview in the archives. Um, some good stuff there. And, of course, I mentioned my thoughts on Jim Cornette and some a lot of other great content is available to you. Go in the archives and check it out at WrestlingTWT on Twitter and on Instagram. Have a great holiday, and I will talk to you next week with another edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Tell people, John, that is talking Wrestling Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday right here on ESPN 1000 and the Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday podcast.